0: Locatora Radio is a radiophonic novella, which is just a very extra way of saying, a, a podcast. podcast. I'm Diosa Femme, and I am Mala Muñoz. Locatora Radio is your prima's favorite podcast, hosted by us, Mala and Diosa.
3: We're two IG friends turned podcast partners, breaking down pop culture, feminism, sexual wellness, and offering fresh takes on trending topics through nuanced interviews with up-and-coming Latinx creatives.
0: Known as Las Locatoras, Las Mamis of Myth and Bullshit, and Las Porcasteras Peligrosas, we were podcasting independently since 2016, but joined iHeartMedia's My Cultura Network in 2022.
3: This year, we're continuing to share stories from the Latinx community pa' todo el mundo.
0: Welcome to Season 8. Are,
3: Are you listening? listening?
0: Hola, hola Locamores, welcome to season eight of Locatora Radio. I'm Diosa. And
3: I am Mala.
0: You're tuning into Capítulo 187 187.
3: Last time on Locatora Radio, we interviewed Doris Anaim Muñoz. Go ahead and tune into that episode, leave us a review, subscribe to Locatora Radio, and share with a friend.
0: So by the time this episode is released, we'll be in that holiday limbo, which is post-Christmas, pre-New Year's Eve. Nobody knows what day it is. Nobody knows what time it is. So we hope you're listening to Locatora Radio in the comfort of your home.
3: If you need to sneak away from your family, if your mental health is suffering because of the holidays, listen to this episode because it's actually about self-care for Latinas. Yes, It's the perfect time to tune in with the stress of the holidays and the anticipation of a new year.
0: Yeah, and we hope your Christmas was filled with, you know, lots of rest, good food, tamales, whatever your family makes, eats during the holidays and hopefully no drama.
3: And if there is drama, hopefully it's juicy and you can tell us about it.
0: Yes, <laughs> and you can tell us about it. We also hope you're getting your New Year's Eve rituals ready. My family does the 12 grapes at midnight. And sometimes mm. we pack the maletas. The, we used to do that when I was a kid. we not so much anymore, but that's a thing. That's been a thing for us.
3: That's so cute. Uh, for New Year's Eve, historically, well, we like to watch the ball drop. Like, okay. we like to watch Andy Cohen and formerly Don Lemon. And the whole, like, Times Square. And we love, like, we used to do Martinelli's. Oh, yes. You
0: know what I mean?
3: And then, like, little poppers. But this year, we're actually going to be spending New Year's Eve together.
0: Our first time, I think. Our
3: first, really our first, like, holiday yeah. together?
0: Yeah, like, actually spending it together. Yeah,
3: and with friends. We're
0: going on a friend's trip, and we're really excited. It's local, but I'm really excited
3: yeah. to, like, get do a little getaway with our Closest, dearest friends. Yeah, we're going to the desert. We're going to be isolated. We're going to see some stars. Yeah, maybe we'll do shrooms. I don't know. We're going to do some drugs. Yeah. For sure. We're going <laughs> to, I think it's been a year um, and we deserve drugs. I think
0: we deserve it. Yeah. 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 I'm taking my books and I'm thinking about maybe cooking one meal for y'all and we'll see.
3: I'm so excited because, <laughs> because, because iconically, famously, Dyosa does not cook. I don't. So this is a treat.
0: I don't. I can do it. I just really don't like to do it. Fair. You know, it's one of those things. And then, you know, Fernando is a good cook and likes to do it. So I'm like, well, you do it then.
3: 100%. You
0: know, I make the all the Latina moms mad, but it is what it is.
3: Food tastes better when a man cooks it for you. You know I what?
0: Think. I think you're right.
3: I think, I think you're There's right. There's just something about it.
0: And I think that that's a good segue into our conversation. Today, we are joined by journalist, writer, and longtime friend, Raquel Richard. She's an award-winning journalist and editor, and currently she is the deputy director of Somos, Refinery29's channel by and for Latinas.
3: And over the years, Raquel has covered really important topics in her writing, including the Puerto Rican experience bodily autonomy, body politics, and so much more. She's from Orlando, Florida. She reps Orlando real hard. Um, And we just love Raquel. We've been knowing her for several years now. We actually talk about how we met her years ago during our interview. It's such a fun story. And she's just such a fun person to talk to. And we'll
0: be talking about her debut book called Self-Care for Latinas. A little bit about this book. Between micro and macro aggressions at school, the workplace, and even the grocery store, a constant news cycle highlighting Latina trauma and a general lack of resources for women of color, it's tough to be a Latina woman and prioritize your wellness, both physically and mentally. With Self-Care for Latinas, you'll find 150 exercises to radically choose to put yourself first. Whether you need a quick pick me up in the middle of the day, you're working through the feelings of burnout, or you need to process a microaggression, this book is for you. In a world that works to devalue Latinas, it's time to make the radical decision to prioritize you, your life, your joy, and your self-care. It is hard to be us, huh? It's hard to be us. It's really hard to be us. It's really hard to be us. Really to be us. But here we
3: are. Here, we survive. We We're surviving. Persevere. Every day we persevere. <laughs> and we look good while doing it. Especially. We look especially good while doing it. Yes. So um, if this speaks to you, keep on listening. Pick up the book, Self Care for Latinas, and let's hear more from the author herself, Raquel.
0: Okay, Locamores, without further ado, we are so excited to bring La Unica, the incredible, the beautiful Raquel, to Locatora Radio. Welcome, Raquel. Please introduce yourself and say hello to our listeners.
4: Oh, my God, what an intro. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm Raquel. I'm an Orlando-based um, Boricua journalist and now author. Yeah, and
0: we have been knowing Raquel for a long time now. Yeah. Essentially, like, the same amount of time I've known you, Mala, like, kind of, like, in the flesh, right? Yes. Since, like, 2016. Yeah, that's when it all started. Yeah, in 2016, <laughs> and... We have seen you grow as a journalist, as a creative. And so now to be able to interview you for On Locatora to talk about your book is so incredibly exciting for us. So tell us about this, your debut book, right? You've been working as a journalist for many, many years. But tell us a a little bit about the book.
4: Yeah. So wait, first of all, I just want to know, I think that I was like one of the first Mm -hmm. um, journalists to interview the two of you about this podcast. So like, again, so So full circle, (laughs) you were the first journalist
0: to reach out to us and interview us for Latina magazine for the online. And that was one of our first features. And Mm -hmm. I remember when you interviewed us, we were on the phone and we were sitting at a Cuban cafe in Downey like Mala and I taking the interview with you and it was loud (laughs) and it was noisy but it was our first time doing it and yeah yeah, I remember that
3: our first time doing press and for real real like true day one listeners Raquel was one of the original founding members of the Mommy Collective (laughs) and
4: Yeah. yeah Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> the East Coast. Yes. Yes. The East Coast mommy. <laughs> we met
3: that faithful that fateful night that in fateful downtown night. LA. And it was hilarious because we were supposed to all go to the down and out yeah. first.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. That's where the meetup was
3: supposed to happen. But I forgot about this. <laughs> Raquel had a bottle on her. And the... <laughs> The bouncer was like, absolutely not. So we went around it the corner.
4: It wasn't even my bottle. It wasn't it your wasn't bottle. It wasn't my bottle. It wasn't
3: I was your, your bottle. In my purse. You were innocent. You were innocent in this whole ordeal and the bouncer was like, No, you can't come in. So we went around the corner and tried to disguise you. We're like, Okay, put your hair up, put on these glasses, here's a jacket. <laughs> <laughs> so the That's whole function so
0: funny. Yeah. I
3: forgot about that. So the whole function got moved across the street to the Onyx Lounge.
4: Yes, yep. and we had to tell everyone to go there. That's they where did the it. mommy
3: collective was formed
0: mm-hmm. at at Onyx Lounge in and, the bathroom. And then I remember this other time, Becca. Like <laughs> not to detour too much from this purpose of this interview, right? But this one time you were in LA with our other friend, Kat Lazo. And y'all sent me into a dispensary by myself, <laughs> and I had never been into a dispensary before. I had never bought anything. Mala didn't have her. ID. She lost her license
3: again. Oh I used to lose my God. license oh, like every time. month. Like once oh. a month, I lost my license.
0: There was a period where Mala was losing her ID like literally five times, like within a year. Yeah. And then you were out of state. How was out of state? So then there's <laughs> little old me. <laughs> Who doesn't know shit about cannabis a little more now, but at the time, no sabía nada. And y'all send me in there and I have my little notes on my phone. And uh, hello, you can't have your phone out. <laughs> That's so
3: true. And I
0: was like, I my list? Like, I have my list? Like, what do I do? And I just went off off memory and i think i did okay but you did a yes. great job yes yeah. we have done some wild things together so oh, it's man. so I fun to <laughs>
4: note that it's also been like a handful of times that we've physically yeah been together yes, yes. it's always a time
0: it's always <laughs> a great time the sisterhood is real in spite of how only being like in real life like yeah, a handful right. of times like you said yeah
1: I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications.
3: She had a Harvard plaque
1: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: The vibe, the vibe is real. The connection is real. Yes. And so that's also why we're so excited for you and Mm -hmm. so proud of you because we've seen you over the course of your career over the past several years and we've known you um, primarily to be a journalist and it's very exciting to see you enter into this space of writing self-care and writing books and being an author. So it's just all the way around. It's super cool and fun.
4: Yeah, um, it's it's been a wild ride. I feel like I say wild multiple times a day every single day since (laughs) this all started. But um, so self-care for Latinas, um, I've been describing it as a resource for Latinas hoping to nourish themselves mentally, physically and spiritually. In the book, there are several self-care practices and techniques. And each one is accompanied by data, history, and narratives that really underline why these tools are necessary to begin with, right? So highlighting the social, cultural, and political blows many of us experience, some of us more than others. um, I believe that in order for self-care to be effective, it must include analysis of the problems that impact us mentally, physically, and spiritually. Yeah, so... For instance, like, you know, in the book, you know, I, I I share different techniques. You know, one of them might be like a breathwork technique, right? And how this can help you lower your stress levels during stressful encounters. Um, but beyond that, like it's also about understanding where that stress comes from, whether that be microaggressions, uh forced family separations. Ethnic cleansing, sexual violence, mass incarceration—you um, know, just that recognition is key in confronting, externalizing, healing, and arming yourself.
3: And Raquel, how did the book come to be? Have you always wanted to write this type of a book? Have you always like sought to do self-care writing? How did this opportunity come about for you?
4: Yeah, so interesting story. So I, you know, I've uh spent most of my career covering um body politics latina body politics specifically and so that encompasses things like reproductive justice um body image um eating disorders uh, gender-based violence um and that has also incorporated um wellness right and um thinking about the ways our culture are also our competing cultures right the harm that that does to us mentally, um, and and physically oftentimes. Um, and with this book, so this book is part of a series at Adams Media, which is an imprint of Simon and Schuster. And, um, they have self-care for black women, self-care for black men. And, um, they, had this title greenlit self-care for latinas and they were looking for a latina writer um and they had reached out to me um i guess given the breadth of my work and asked me how i might approach this book and they were very pleased and so it all happened very very quickly (laughs) like they reached out i think it was in february i think i got um my like overview to them like three days later and then in less than a week they were like we love it and then like we signed a contract like it just happened (laughs) really quickly um and then like my deadline was in like three months it was just it literally just happened in february and the book comes out in december so like it all happened in one year Amazing, <laughs> That's, wow.
3: Yeah. Very
0: cool. Definitely like what's meant for you finds its way to you, right? So that's so incredible. And I wanted to go back to what you said about the context that you're writing this book from because I think that, you know, we've talked about self-care and community care for like so much uh, over the course of this podcast. And one of the things we always say is missing from like the mainstream conversation about self-care is that it removes the, the systems that mm-hmm. – um, make it really challenging and difficult for us to care for ourselves and for each other so i love that you have you know in your intro and throughout you have this very grounding way of writing about these systems that encourage us to not take care of ourselves mm-hmm. right whether that be um you know micro and macroaggressions whether that be syst- systemic racism or just day-to-day like street harassment all these types of things that we that we as Latinas face um, and and giving us the tools then to take care of ourselves in spite of these things.
4: Yeah, I have always felt that self-care is like a misnomer at least for at least for women of marginalized races and ethnicities, right For us, self-care has always been tied to community care, right In the book, I mm-hmm. write about um, how Gloria and Seldua once said, "I changed myself, I changed the world." um and audrey lord talked about self-care self-preservation and an act of political warfare and like these women understand and understood that taking care of ourselves means taking care of all of us both pouring into ourselves so we can sustainably pour into others and by modeling self-compassion self-preservation self-value, self-joy, self-love, right, so that the next generation of women understand that we are worthy of these things despite what society tells us, right, that we want to see them self-full and not self-sacrificed.
3: I'm really curious about what the response has been to the title, to the book just existing in general like how are readers responding and I'm sure you've had readers who have been following your work for some time now reading your reported pieces and when you announced this book what has your readership like what what has the response been like?
4: There's been so much excitement around this book um, this title it's always been so (laughs) (laughs) nerve-wracking because it's so different from anything that I've done before I mean in some ways like right the the issues that I'm talking about you know I've reported on for many years but it's a it's a different format um and so there's there's a lot of excitement from people who know my work who have followed me for a really long time there's also a lot of excitement from folks who you know aren't familiar with my work who are now following me um because uh they're just really excited to get their hands on this book. Um so it's 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 exciting. <laughs> it's um it's 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 really it's really so beautiful. There have been so many moments where I've um just shed tears in disbelief. Um around the feedback like there are folks who have um you know gotten a chance to read the galley and have described it as a game changer that's again wild to me (laughs) um but i'm i'm just so grateful i'm so grateful
0: Yeah, it's really exciting to see the reception online. I've been following, of course I follow you, and I've, I've seen the things that you've shared, uh, like the roundups, right, that you've been included in, and how it's also the the timing of this book, it's released December 26th, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the perfect gift for every Latina in your life, honestly. Um, but I want to ask you, you know, in your, your letter to the reader, you mention imposter syndrome, and we have talked about this as well over the years at Locatora, and you mentioned you know silencing the chatter in your head that you're an award-winning journalist like you are more than capable of doing this, so I wanted to ask you like how did you ground yourself and silence the chatter in your head so that you could show up for this project?
4: It took time <laughs> like i like i said this I had like three three and a half months to to work on this, and weeks went by, and I just did not get started because of this chatter, and I'm not a person who has really um, dealt with. Um, oh my god, what's the word? When you procrastination, definitely procrastination. I'm not oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. Um, I'm not a procrastinator, and I really don't deal with writer's block too much. So I was like, "What is going on?" Because this is a really unfamiliar experience. Like, I'm a trained journalist. Like, I get an assignment, I do my reporting, and I get it done. I have a quick deadline, you know? I remember when I was in grad school, my professors were always so impressed by how quickly I was able to submit essays. And it was because of my journalism background. So I was just like, wait, what is going on? (laughs) And it really was this imposter syndrome. And... I think the way that I was able to work through it was in doing much of the research for this book, I was like, I know this, (laughs) you know, like this wasn't like, none of this was news to me. A lot of it wasn't news to me. Right. Um, And so it was just constantly, really just constantly having to remind myself that I actually know what I'm talking about and I might not be a psychologist, a therapist, uh, you know, a, a healer, but I have centered so much of what I put into this book in my writing throughout my entire career. And I'd also say that just speaking to friends, um, y'all know Connie. <laughs> Connie's mm-hmm. like the best cheerleader anyone could ever have. And she just, just gasped me enough. <laughs> <laughs> to to motivate me to um to start writing. And then once I did start writing, it just flowed because I I know what I'm writing about. And that chatter is just a liar.
3: Yeah, it's it's like in a lot of ways your whole career you've been doing the research yep. and the investigation into the topic from different angles without necessarily having this book as an end goal. Yep which is pretty amazing. And it also speaks to, you know, th- it makes sense that they reached out to you to write this book because you have like this extensive background in in journalism as it relates to self-care for Latinas without necessarily calling it that specifically. Yep,
4: yep, exactly. Like so much of my work has focused on colonialism, on body politics, on marianismo, right? And these are topics that come up over and over again In this book, because these are topics that we have to explore if we are going to seriously talk about self care
0: for us. Yeah, one hundred percent. And you know, when when prepping for this interview, I texted you and I was like, we need to talk about marianismo because I don't think as a community we talk about it enough. We do not.
4: We do not. We talk
0: about we talk about machismo all the time. The way it has ruined our lives, runs our lives, like, and we have to like extricated from our lives, right? But, Mar- but
4: marianismo is marianismo, sustains Exactly.
0: Marianismo is the other side of it, right? So let's talk about it, because I don't think we've actually talked about it on this show in an extensive way. So let's talk about it now. Let's define it. Like, what is marianismo, and how are you using that theme, that concept in this book?
4: Yeah, so marianismo is like this ideal of femininity, That women are supposed to live up to, right? These traits of being modest, of being abstinent, of being subordinate, right? Um, And so the way that this, I connect this with um, self care is, you know, just thinking before Latinas can even embark on a self care journey or adopt a self care routine we have to address marianismo, right? Because it's this deeply entrenched culture that has taught us since girlhood that to be good, to be a good girl, to be a good woman, to be a good Latina, is to be self-sacrificial. So what happens when we care for ourselves? When we pour into ourselves? When we become self-full? We feel guilty and shameful because we've been told that these things are bad, right? We are punished for mentally, physically, and spiritually caring for ourselves. If not by society, then by internalizing these societal expectations. It literally, it haunts us. And I'm speaking from experience, right? And so if this is how we feel, then how effective is self-care really if it makes us feel so bad in these other ways?
3: Um, Yeah, it's interesting, too, because I think part of the marianismo and womanhood, there is this emphasis on like, take care of yourself, but so that you look good for your partner, for your husband, husband. right? Or for your prospective husband, like, you're taking care of your appearance. And there's that that phrase out there that I feel like is mostly in English, there's probably an equivalent in Spanish, but like the idea of like a woman letting herself go, Mm -hmm. it usually has to do with her appearance yep, and, and as she gets older and such. And so it's fascinating, too, to think about taking care of ourselves without a husband in mind, without mm-hmm. a boyfriend in mind, mm-hmm. like taking care of ourselves in every other way.
4: Yep. There's even that idea that beauty hurts.
3: Yeah. Yes, right? totally. Like, totally.
4: Um, and so those are the ways in which that we're supposed to care for ourselves. We're expected to care for ourselves in ways that cause us more pain. Right. And so we need to take care of ourselves or rather we need to unlearn Marianismo to effectively care for ourselves. And we need to take care of ourselves because our self, you know, sacrifice doesn't serve us or our communities. Absolutely.
0: I mean, it's so ingrained in in us, in our families. And then, you know, our mothers often then raise us and we perpetuate this Marianismo on each other. I think about mm-hmm. now in my first first year of marriage, how my mother has these expectations for me. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily my partner, the person that I married, but my mother has these expectations of how I'm supposed to be as, as a quote wife. And we don't adhere to them. Right. And Mm -hmm. so even this external force that is someone so close to me, obviously, like my mother is still putting this pressure on me Mm -hmm. to behave a certain way, do things a certain way, even though I've that's not what we do and how what how we want to be in a relationship. Right. But it it very much runs. It can't it has the ability, the potential to run our lives if we let it.
4: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And like, that's that's the goal right like the very idea of gendered self-sacrifice is colonial (laughs)
3: Mm -hmm.
1: yes Mm
4: -hmm. marianismo gets its name from the virgin mary (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh you know a figure who the catholic church has turned into the paragon of self-sacrifice she dedicated her her entire her entirety to the catholic god right having having it's literally having its son um, and then committing herself to him and so when the spanish colonized what's now known as latin america and parts of the caribbean they facilitated the expansion of their empire through religious conversion we know this overwhelmingly by force and this included religious gender-based expectations that supported their patriarchal conquest (laughs) Um, these traits, you know, included things like, you know, being subordinate, being pure, being quiet, being humble, being modest. And the colonial church taught that these are the, the attributes that make good women. And in reality, it was and remains traits that make good colonial subjects, right? Good, quiet, accommodating servants in their empire. And yes. that's still true today.
0: It's so funny that we're talking about this on Dia de la Virgen. Like, it's literally today? December 12th. Oh, Lord. Oh, my
3: God.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> All the Guadalupanas listening. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get mad. If you're Guadalupana, if your mom's a Guadalupana, it's okay. We love you guys. We're just saying. <laughs> we're
4: just, we're is, just saying. This is the history. <laughs> this is the history. history. Context is important. Yes. Yeah.
3: And, I mean, it's it, an impossible standard to yes. live up to impossible. because, oh, you you have to be a mother but a virgin at the same yes. time. Yes. Or you're doing it wrong.
0: Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So let's get into some of the specifics of the book. You know, this book is broken up into three parts of mind, body, and spirit. So I wanted to talk about some of them today. We brought a couple examples, starting with mind. One of my favorites that you wrote was, turn reggaeton lyrics into affirmations and repeat them to yourself. And I love this one so much because I know that you – have a longer essay that came that you published a couple years ago about how reggaeton music helped you in your healing journey. Yep. So I loved seeing this callback to that. So tell us more about, of course, the inspiration behind this affirmation, this tip for self-care of the mind, and what went, in, what went into you creating this.
4: Yeah, I was just, <laughs> this was actually one of the, The tips that I had shared in my overview, like, because it was one that just felt so like this is something that I've already been doing for years. And literally, no one can hype you up the way a reggaetonero hypes you up. Like, like, oh my God. And so I, you know, I often, you know, Boricua from Orlando, like, you hear reggaeton everywhere you go here. And these lyrics just—they helped bring me back to life during a really, really dark time. And they continue to do so in different ways. Like even, you know, um, thinking about Un Verano Sin Ti, um, the album Bad Bunny's—not um, his last album, but two years ago. I, I can't I believe it. I think so. Wow. wow. Yeah. Wild. <laughs> But that album, I actually, I didn't listen to it at first, which is like a shocker because y'all know I had a whole Bad Bunny birthday party like yes. Stand right? But that was the first um, summer that I was experiencing without my best friend. And so that title just knocked me out. And then when I started listening to it, it just, it it gave me life. It gave, it really just like, it gave me life and it also felt like Angie was with me while every time that I was listening to it. And so I just think that there's something so, there's something so powerful in these lyrics, right? That, you know, some might see as frivolous, but the way in which, the way that they can really empower you and breathe new life into you and just hype you and make you feel good about yourself, like that's, that's not frivolous to me. I love that approach, too,
3: because over the years, you know, of course, there's been criticism, whether it's like of hip hop lyrics or reggaeton lyrics of like objectifying women or whatever the language may be, hypersexualization. But then there's also been folks like, you know, um, Gata of Reggaeton con la Gata. I think you're doing this, too, with the way you're using reggaeton. It's like reclaiming it and finding the good and finding the positive and like, I don't know, giving it like some cultural context that is not it's not so damning, you know, it's like, yeah. no, let's look at this for what it is holistically.
4: Yep. And both things can be true, right? Like we can critique and we can also take what serves us and makes us feel good.
3: Totally. Yeah, I love that. Hell yeah.
4: Um, I also feel
3: like over the years, I really uh, when I think of you, Raquel, I think of a lot of the work and the writing that you've done around body positivity and bodily autonomy, and um, I love how you are touching upon that as well in the book and in different ways about rebuilding your relationship with cultural foods and also reclaiming your bodily autonomy and I want to ask why it was important for you to include the cultural foods and the bodily autonomy in the self-care
4: book yeah so this section was the easiest for me to write (laughs) someone actually asked if there were uh, more tips in this section and they're not there there aren't any more than the others it's it's evenly split but I think maybe these these excerpts are a little longer (laughs) but yeah I was really able to um, I think go off (laughs) in this section because it has centered so much of my work on and so especially like these two topics that you um, mentioned rebuild your relationship with your cultural foods yeah I, I felt like this was so necessary to include especially for me as a vegan Like, I know that when I first, when I first went vegetarian, I went vegetarian when I was 14, I felt like I had to not eat Puerto Rican food because it was just impossible to do so, right? Because everywhere I went, like, I couldn't, I couldn't escape the pork. And even at home, like, with my mom, like, my mom would try to sneak ham, (laughs) Yes. No. The yes she would yes. try to sneak it in there for me
0: and I, would, I have a the that would do that to me oh
3: my yeah, god
4: yeah. And I would feel it like I would like I would end up throwing up because my body rejected it you know and I also remember like being so I grew up in the Pentecostal church and I remember being in church and people putting hands on me praying for me, um, to like eat meat because they were just like, what's wrong with her? Like, this is a Stop blessing it. from God. I'm not kidding. Right. What? <laughs> right. So like at this time where I'm just like, um, I just feel like I, I can't eat my foods, foods that have just comforted me throughout my life have just now felt like, Yeah, like I just, I, it just felt like, you know, like everyone was trying to force me into eating meat through my cultural foods. And so I, it took some time for me to rebuild um, that relationship. And that meant learning to uh, cook Puerto Rican dishes vegan And then also the fact that there are so many vegan Boricua restaurants now, like, or I think Orlando's, like, has more vegan Puerto Rican restaurants than anywhere outside of Puerto Rico. Um, So just seeing other people find ways to create, like, pernil, (laughs) right? Um, Mofongo, like, just all of these delicious uh, dishes, Um, my... It's It's been helpful. And also what's been helpful is um, I think now I've been able to, like, change my family's perspective. And so I remember one year actually for Christmas, my abuelita made me vegan pasteles.
3: Oh Yeah.
4: And now if we go somewhere, like, my mom will always call in advance and say, hey, are there meat in, like, the arroz con gandules? Or, like, do do we need to, you know... <laughs> cook a cook a separate a separate pot for Raquel (laughs) um (laughs) but that took time (laughs) um but for for a lot of us like it's this it's that right but then it's also like the ways in which I mean and vegan you know the vegan culture uh is guilty of doing this as well um it's like demeaning and villainizing these foods that we all grew up with and calling them bad um when they're not bad <laughs> wow i mean
3: praying over you that you would eat meat again is like something else that's wow. next level it's wild it's
4: wild it haunts me still
3: it's also fascinating because it sounds like you know like i don't know like everybody is all in in everybody else's business like dang why do, you know what i mean like why do they care so much about what you're eating it's just that's that like it's very latino it, <laughs> you know yeah. what i so mean
4: latino. yeah it was definitely a spanish language
3: <laughs>
4: pentecostal church <laughs> it, it is so latino
0: it's so latino too because it like it teaches us so young that like our body is not ours right yeah. like everybody can have an opinion not only about what our bodies look like but what we even put in them totally right it's food right it's food and and that we're not even allowed to do that and so yeah of course like you have been centering like bodily autonomy in your work for over the past decade and I just I love to see this the rebuild your relationship with cultural food and reclaim your bodily autonomy like I loved seeing this and just that whole section I think is so powerful
4: I mean and that also goes back to the idea of Marianismo right like that's what teaches us that our bodies are not ours right um it teaches us that our modesty will protect us when it Mm -hmm. doesn't and then it um that concept like because of that is why we then blame ourselves for the crimes committed against us when it's all it's all bullshit
0: it's all connected 100 percent. yes So, you know, the last section is the spirit section. And um, I wanted to ask you about this passage that you have about discovering the heroines of your homeland. So tell us more. This is one of my favorite passages. Tell us more about this one. Yeah.
4: So in this passage, I write about how we don't often hear or learn the stories of our, you know, Latina, Latin American, Caribbean heroines we rarely even hear those stories of our heroes right and so even less um women and that sometimes makes us think that we don't have heroines right but that's not true um we have uh you know latinas both here in the united states and women across latin america and the caribbean who have long like stood up against colonialism violence who have just pushed back fought back used their voices used their privileges um and then also in various you know like mediums right from politics to music to communities we have heroes in our own families um so it's it's necessary to ex- excavate this history and, and connect and be inspired by these women.
3: Love it, including you, you being one of those women yes. at oh my God. this stage. <laughs> and like, as you continue to work, no, for sure, totally. You're like, you've been killing it for a long time. You continue to do so. We're so proud of you and proud to know you. Thank you, babe. And I think it's also very exciting that this book is being carried at major outlets. I mean, it's Simon and Schuster, but you can buy this book at Target, you can buy the book at Barnes and Noble, which I think is a humongous accomplishment. Isn't how does that, how does it feel? Yeah.
4: That's wild. That's so wild to me. Like I <laughs> I was um on the phone, so I've just been like I know that these the book is available online. And I'm just, mm-hmm. like, I'm curious, like, are, like, you know, like, store funds, like, are they selling the book, too? Um, and I know, like, the barn, there's a few Barnes & Noble, Nobles, like, here in Orlando and just across the country that are. But I was really curious about, like, the Targets and the Walmarts. And so, actually, a few days ago, <laughs> I called my, the Target that I grew up going to in East Orlando. <laughs> And to ask if they were going to be carrying this book and they sent me around to so many different people but at the end there was this really really sweet lady and she was like oh my god yes we're going to have a few copies here i'm gonna let you know when we have them and i'm gonna call you so you could come by if you want to like take a look um but congratulations we're so happy for you here at like Orlando Target it was so Aww. sweet it was I so love sweet. that yeah that's awesome yeah that's
0: amazing wow hometown
4: hero yeah <laughs> hometown gal I'm telling
3: you doing Orlando it zone. <laughs> Orlando's finest
4: yes <laughs> yeah
0: I mean you have been putting people on not only like across the US, but specifically, I know you rep Orlando really hard. That's your hometown. So that's so exciting to see.
4: Yeah, y'all know, I, I go super hard for Orlando. I, when, I had a, um, when I got my box of galleys, I kept like five of them, and I wrote little notes in them, and I put them in little libraries. You know, the little community library boxes yes. Cute. Um, across downtown to East Orlando. And it's just, again, the reception has been really, really beautiful. And they've all been taken. So folks out here are are reading. Um, I gave Orlando the, that sneak preview. Love Amazing. it.
0: The book is going to travel far and wide. We're so excited for you. Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been such a long, like, overdue interview. Like, we've been wanting to have you on for a long time now. So I'm so glad our first interview officially
3: is about your book. So thank you so much for joining us today.
4: Thank you both. I love y'all. Thank you.
3: And this has been another episode of Locatora Radio. Besitos. Besitos. Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, is executive produced and hosted by me, Mala Muñoz, and Diosa Femme.
0: Story editing by me, Diosa.
3: Audio editing by Stephanie
0: Franco. Thank you to our Locamores, our listeners, for all of your support. <laughs> Locatora Radio.
4: A a radiophonic
0: radiophonic novella. Hosted by Mala Munoz and the OSAF Femme.
2: Join me, Emily Tish Sussman, every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I used to have so many men.